You're listening to the Guys on the Sideline podcast, where you'll hear opinions, predictions, and sports takes in every direction. If you're a diehard sports fan, this is the place to be. The only podcast with an audience made up completely of haters, hosted by guys who adopt the wisdom of Kobe Bryant and embrace every last one of them, here are the guys on the sideline. Hey everybody, welcome on in to Guys on the Sideline, the podcast. This would be episode 130 of the fastest growing sports podcast anywhere little trick-or-treaters are out this week and or on Monday, I should say. Hey everybody, welcome in to the pod. We're glad that you found us. This is your host, Jeff, ADHD, ain't for the week, Burton. And joined by Chris, Quest for Perfection is back, baby, Mumford. Hello, Chris Mumford. Oh, you did not just give me a BYU slogan, Jeff, for my <laughs> no, nickname. No, 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 Chris, I was saying that the Jazz, the, the, they went 3-0, oh, the, yeah, the Quest okay. for Perfection. I was ready to get okay. the, I was ready to be a sponsor, guys on the sideline, sponsor. Wasn't that, Jazz. wasn't that a BYU slogan? Remember when, like, every season it, they'd have some slogan? Well, we need a list of those. It it absolutely was a slogan, and it was a Bronco Mendenhall, and it was good. But there was, you know, in terms of like religious um, strivings and various things, it was a very ba- bad message in terms of it. Kind of was a holier than thou, like, oh, you're trying to be perfect over there at BYU. But they were referring to the football season, which, you know, BYU has the potential. They always stack up a good schedule, but man, and we'll probably get into that here a little bit on the pod today too. But uh, the wheels have kind of come out or kind of coming off there, but we got to talk Utes with a big win last night with a backup yeah. quarterback and a, a, a nice showing in the Pac-12. We obviously got to tuck the Jazz. We're kind of teasing that a little bit. Um, they are, you know, making uh, <laughs> making things interesting. You got Danny Ainge wondering, like, wait, this was not part of the trust of <laughs> the process. But uh, before we get into sports and everything, Chris, it's been a hot minute. Since we've jumped in the booth and I got to just, we got to do a little check on Chris Mumford. How's Chris today? How's your head? You know, it's good. It's, it's on as securely as it can be, you know, considering we've got a lot going on. We're expecting our our third child here soon and just getting ready for that. It's always, you know, kind of intense. You don't know for sure when that day is going to be here, but it's been good overall. So can't complain. And I, I think things on the sports front have been relatively good you know maybe with the exception of my Raiders but I think things could be slowly turning around there too yeah so Chris what are the odds that a guy's on the sideline listener gets to name the Mumford (laughs) baby yeah I'd say zero um unless (laughs) unless you know it's so maybe I shouldn't say zero maybe it's like 0.03 percent or something like that it's a real long shot a little boy, right? Is what you're talking about. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, m- m- Chris, come on. Talk to your lovely wife. See what you guys can come up with. You guys get to pick the first name. Obviously, the last name is set. What are the yeah. odds? Like, what? Like, come on. What are the odds it's Al Davis is a middle name? Let's give him two middle names. Al Davis. <laughs> you want to give him the middle name of Al Davis? I, I don't know. You know, the, the, Dave, I, the Davises probably could stand to, like, add someone else to their family name so maybe it's not the worst thing for them but i'd need to be you know written into their wills and fortune somehow all right maybe if you're a, for that to a, be worthwhile yeah no i get that well all the best to your wife to you and, and to your little girls over the next uh, couple of weeks keep us posted thank you um yeah, yeah good stuff and, and like you said the sports friend it's uh you know it, it's this way every year but september october you know, going into November, it really is the best time of year for sports because you got the NFL, you know, the number one sport in the, I'd say in the world, but, you know, notwithstanding World Cup or, you know, soccer or anything like that. But you got the NFL, college football is always very interesting. You got the NBA around the horizon and then you got the World Series coming up or or here, I should say. Um, so it's it's a great time of year and it's been a minute since we've recorded and my apologies for that. Ladies and gentlemen, Chris Mumford is always chomping at the bit to get in the booth and it's uh, been me who's slowing things down there i'm excited to announce there's a, a sister podcast speaking of expecting guys on the sidelines gonna be a big brother so go find life in the carpool lane it's about my wild experiences as an uber driver 
And uh, I know what you all are thinking in the audience there. I, I know. I I I, I can uh, I can see it through the microphone here, and that is Jeff. You cannot do a podcast without Chris because Chris is sanity. He's the yin to the yang. And so, Chris, <laughs> the people want to know: Will you join the Life in the Carpool Lane podcast at some point? Sure, I, I'm I'm happy to make a cameo. But yeah, I'll, you know, we'll, we'll have to kind of pick a topic. I'll have to figure out what to talk about. But yes, <laughs> happy to pick a topic. We would love to have you, uh, Chris. That's enough intro and chatter. What do you say we get started? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. All right, legendary co-host Chris Mumford, I'm going to give you the uh, ability to choose where we start here on the pod. Again, there's a lot of different topics. This is kind of a little potpourri episode, if you will. So uh, where, where do you want to start? And uh, let's let's get some hot takes going. Well, I think I think the jazz is kind of, to me, in many ways, the, the most fun story, the most surprising story. Maybe we could start there. Let's start there. So opening night at Vivin Arena, right? They're hosting Denver. You're thinking it's going to be a blowout. And a blowout it was. Uh, and honestly, I think kind of shocked the world. And then they play their old, uh, you know, their old buddy, Rudy Gobert, up in Minnesota, right, Chris? And uh, Jazz go up 2-0 and on the young season. And then they go 3-0 and with a, uh, with an overtime win against, who was it, New Orleans, I want to say? And yes. uh, so, yeah, really shocking the world. Uh, tell tell me what you see. What what's going on here? Well, well, first of all, Jeff. Most importantly, are you are you still on their payroll? We got to know. We got to <sighs> surface those biases. Chris, uh, I, I'm not going to disclose. You know whether I got fired or terminated, whether I quit, whether I you know went <laughs> went you know Tom Brady on him and just you know kind of yelled at him like crazy and just had to had to walk away. But yeah, unfortunately, well, I should say unfortunately. Things got a little too busy for for me, you know, personally, and with, you know, eight of my side hustles, and so I had to, uh, I had to hang them up. And so I'm curious. <laughs> let's go back to these. What are the odds? What are the odds that uh, Jeff Burton's name and jersey floats up there with Hornacek and Malone and Larry? Hey, I'll, I'll and sign Hots. that petition. I'll sign, sign that petition, Jeff, <laughs> for sure. Okay, I think so you can at least get like a cup holder engraved or something with your yeah. name in one of the seats, maybe. <laughs> okay, okay. So sadly, I don't have any inside information for you, but uh, it, it was a good run. I, I left in good. Well, I, I actually paused it, so maybe maybe I'm on IR. And uh, okay. you know, truth be told, and hopefully this, I'll whisper this so it doesn't you know make it back to Ryan Smith. But my hope is to make a return for the All Star Game, so that I can oh. you know. Have some uh, rub some shoulders with some rappers, with some supermodels, with some athletes. Uh, I, I don't think Kanye's coming anymore. Do you do you think the likelihood that Kanye? Well, and the, it's very unlikely because there is no Kanye anymore, Jeff. In case you haven't heard, it's just well, Ye. Well, just so Ye. and the chances of Ye showing up are probably uh, not as good as Kanye showing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, okay. The question of whether he's going to show up is such a totally theoretical abstraction at this point because. Who is he? What is he? Where is he? A lot of really interesting questions to touch on a lot of interesting topics, but we'll save that for our philosophy pod, I think. Save it for an upcoming episode. So, Chris, how are the Jazz doing it? Because I got to say, I think a lot of fans were like, oh, this is going to be a train wreck. But you know what? I think this could be one of the more exciting Jazz seasons, and it's because no one expects them to win. But if they go out and fight hard and can take down a, you know, a juggernaut every once in a while, like... How cool is it to be in the stands and to be rooting for that team? You know, Jeff, we we've been we we're not really experts on many things, and that's that's part of our brand here, right? True but story. one thing I think we can say is that we're very tapped into Utah sports fandom, and we're both lifelong jazz fans. So I think we speak with the most authority on that subject. And the one thing we've been banging the drum about a lot over the past several years, uh, particularly since Ryan Smith took over was this idea that this is a market that's not accustomed to the drive for championships and how messy it can be and how totally up and down it can be, just just these violent swings, right? You could be really bad for a couple of years and then you could be at the top of the pile and then and then back again and so forth. And that, that's just what it looks like because you're taking big swings, right? But yep. I feel like 
what we're seeing this season, and maybe more importantly than that, the reaction to it, where in a big market, if your team was supposed to tank, there might actually be angst over the victories early in the season. Now, you're seeing some of it from Jazz fans, and by no means have I gotten, you know, done complex, in-depth polling on this. But the general sentiment I'm getting is that people are just tickled, right? Like, they just think it's hilarious and great. And and I, I know that's my reaction. Every time I see them win, I'm just, I'm chuckling about it and, and enjoying it and loving how they're doing it. They're putting six and seven players in double figures and there's no quote unquote hero ball and there's no plotting, you know, we do this this way and we don't change, which was kind of becoming the knock on Quinn Snyder. All that stuff's gone and, and most importantly gone with it are all the expectations that were always over the top and always too much. And it just feels like this fan base, maybe we're just more comfortable. We just like rooting for an underdog upstart team more. It kind of, I, That's just been my feeling is like this feels more like the jazz I know. Like even though this team has been together for all of whatever it is now, five or six games, this feels more like the jazz to me. This feels more familiar. Scrappy, guys having fun, you know, hustling, playing defense taking pride in their defense, taking pride in the plays they're making on both ends of the floor and different guys stepping up in different moments and making plays. And, you know, I'm not saying it's going to last all year, but it just kind of feels like it kind of proves our theory about this, that, that we haven't been that market um, that that is the big, you know, title chasing market. And I just think this is kind of further evidence of that a little bit. Well, I agree. I mean, you look from top to bottom on this roster and you really know, never know who's going to play. I mean, the two familiar names that we've seen in years past, I mean, there's a couple, but obviously Jordan Clarkson getting the most minutes. You know, Mike Conley is another, you know, staple piece. But Mike Conley's, you know, his career is is sunsetting, right? I mean, his not saying he can't go out and, you know, hit the three ball or, you know, make some great passes, some great plays, but, you know, clearly he's toward the end of his career. And then you've got a bunch of pieces of guys just almost fighting to make it in this league. I mean, nobody's really under a huge contract. And so obviously if somebody can go out and perform, I mean, they could they could get paid. I think it's an interesting experiment. We've commented on the Jazz, you know, breaking up uh, Donovan and Rudy. We both agreed that ownership looked at this and said, we're paying a lot of money and we've got a nice team. It's a nice playoff team, but likely they 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 believe that it wasn't like a championship contender continually getting bounced in the first. Maybe they make it to the second round, right? But it's like, but you're spending a lot of money for something that's just not going to necessarily return. So they blow it up. And to your point, I mean, th- this team fits this market, this the scrappy. I mean, this is Jerry Sloan lunch pail to work kind of team. And Chris, with as many assets as they have. If you have this kind of mentality and this kind of team, and then you bring in a European star, you bring in a couple of young, young, potentially down the road players. I, I don't know. I mean, I just, it's intriguing to me what the Jazz could do in the next four or five years with all of these assets, with kind of this scrappy mentality. And, and I agree. They're they're through what, four games now, four or five games and and they've they've looked great. They've got some big wins. Uh, we recognize, you know, down the stretch through eighty two games, I mean, this team does not have what it takes to stay with Phoenix and Dallas and Golden State and Milwaukee and Boston, all of those teams. But, as we both agreed and referenced, it it just it has a feel. It has a vibe. and it I, I think guys on the sideline we're we're all about this, right? Absolutely. We're all about it. and and for those jazz fans who, might genuinely be wringing their hands about what this all means for snagging um, Wemben Yana. Is that how you say his name? I'm still not used to saying. Yep. I know they're calling him Wemby or just Victor, um, but you know, I, I I'm a big believer that you can't buy culture, and that there are certain franchises that are, have a winning tradition, and there are some that don't. And as a Raiders fan, that early in its franchise's history was all about the winning, you know, had three Super Bowls, all-time legends, John Madden, Marcus Allen, on and on and on, right? And and a, a yep. whole culture wrapped around just win, baby, you know, all of that. It was about winning, about commitment to excellence, all that stuff. 
And then it totally evaporated <laughs> right around when I became a fan, just coincidentally. So there's that. But in the last 20 years, they're creeping back to it. They've got a losing record now, but it's been so hard to get back to that place. And it's hard because you can't, you can't touch it and, and feel it. It's, it's not this tangible quality that a franchise has. It's intangible. But there's something about having a winning culture. I will just say to those Jazz fans worried about tanking, I would always take a winning culture over tanking. I just always would. You know, you look at the Thunder over there, and they've got some exciting young pieces and 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 so forth. But it still feels like they're kind of mired at the bottom a little bit. And I think it's hard to recover when you've when you have been tanking, when you have tanked several times. Because think of it this way, and maybe this makes it more more tangible. You know, for players that are that are having to go through that grind and Folks, not everybody's cut out for an NBA season. Like, I don't think people realize how difficult and brutal it would be on your body, mentally, everything, right? There, there's not a lot of breaks or rest or relief. You're playing every other night in a new city, oftentimes back-to-back nights, and, and so forth and so on. So to to play and put it out there for an organization that you strongly suspect is undercutting you and making decisions to try to make you guys lose. That's at the core of this. And I I don't think the jazz ought to take that tack. I really hope they don't. If they need to move veteran players like Conley, because he wants to, to wrap up his career, making a, you know, a run at a ring. That's okay. Cause I also don't, you know, Conley's wonderful, but he's not who he used to be. Right. I don't think no, that moving him would sure. be, would be catastrophic for this roster per se point being though i don't think they need to go do another fire sale just to ensure that they tank because i don't think one player is going to compensate here right I, you could do all this work to tank get Wembenyana, and then have not a not many people around him and then be essentially back to where you are right now at this moment where you're you know you're decent you're you're winning a few games but that's about it so I don't personally believe there's one set formula here that works. I don't think that tanking is is totally necessary for it. Jeff, name me a team that that tanked successfully and really got it done and, and totally reaped the benefits. Can you think of one? Well, the one that to me that comes to mind as far as like just, I don't say imploding or tanking, whatever, is Philadelphia. And I think Philly has been down for how many years? And I, I think they're a good team in the East. But yeah. would you say that they're a championship contend? I no, mean, maybe they're. I don't think so. Well, I mean, they're they're in part of, they're part of the conversation, but I wouldn't look at them and say they are it, right? I would put yeah, Milwaukee no. and Boston both way ahead of them. Yes, absolutely. And and on that point, and others have pointed out on Twitter who are following it more closely, when Ainge was running things in Boston. I think he only had one losing season between winning seasons, meaning it, it doesn't seem like it's really his mode to tank um, per se. I think that at least to deliberately, you know, by tanking, we mean stacking the deck. So you're losing on purpose, right? I don't, I don't get the feeling that he's doing that. Now you can, you can cut down a roster like he has and see what you've got, but I don't get the sense that, that he's going to have, you know, be panicking about it. We've got Jeff, between now and what did I hear? 2029, we have 19 first round draft picks. 19. Like there's got to be good assets out there you can obtain with all of that draft capital, with all the space we have um, under the cap for us. We could add someone. So we've got a lot of options outside of drafting a young, very exciting, but as yet unproven young young rookie. Unless we forget, Jeff, there have been lots of highly touted folks before they didn't make it. Greg Oden comes to mind, right? Drafted ahead of Kevin Durant and barely saw the floor as far as I know. So now you end up with someone like that. You've tanked for nothing and you're writing, you're, you know, kind of putting everything on this young kid to hope that he can turn things around for you and it may never come to fruition. So yeah. anyway, that that's my rambling long response to that. But I just think we need to preserve our winning culture. Even You know, it's funny to say it like, and maybe, I don't know how you feel about it, Jeff. The last two years, you almost feel like we're losing years for us, even though we were like right in the thick of it, you know, I, I mean, kind of in the middle of the pack. And then the prior year, number one seed in the West, but like last year in particular, almost felt like a down year, right? Because we so underperformed against expectations. But 
the reality is we were solidly a playoff team that was never in question. We just kind of got to the playoffs and fizzled out. So, you know, we've maintained that winning culture. I hope we continue to do so into the future, even as we rebuild. Yeah, c- completely agree. And and I, I was going to say this, and you, you referenced it, so I'll just uh, echo what you said. I think there's tanking, and then I think there's rebuilding. And yeah. I you referenced Boston. That's what I was going to say. I, it, I didn't follow the team closely, but I don't remember after – uh, who Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, like they didn't blow the team up. Now they clearly, you know, they weren't who they were And Ray Allen. I got to throw him in there as well, but they, they went through some, you know, some down years, but they didn't like, like just totally implode. Right. And so I think yeah. the jazz, I think what they've done is they've cleared the books, right? They've clearly said, okay, we're going to start over from a financial standpoint. And you've referenced it, I think nicely here building a culture you got a young coach right nobody knows will hardy what is what is he about right this is his first campaign and my goodness if he can if, if he can yeah, get okay. every huh yeah i said sorry no not to cut you off but yeah very happy with what i'm seeing so far well and if if he can instill this culture and if he can get every ounce out of these players you and i'm not in no way am i calling for you know coach of the year but sometimes Sometimes they think the coach of the year is kind of weak because it's just like, oh, you just give it to the coach with the winningest record. And I think, sure, right? I think there's some good coaching. But I remember the year that Jerry Sloan, and he was robbed. That that I mean, we could go off for a whole episode on this that he never won coach of the year. And he did some great things with Stockton and Malone and Hornacek and Ostertag. I mean, those teams, the big dog. But his best coaching, I think, is when he took them. Weren't they 500 the year that they had? Carlos Arroyo... Yeah, Andre Karolinko, I want to say. I mean, they they th- those were the stars, and they literally were just out of the playoffs, and it was an exciting season. But you would have to say that that's a masterful coaching job. So uh, in no way am I comparing Will Hardy to Jerry Sloan. I'm just saying, like, good for Will Hardy, and I agree with you. Like, we're seeing some good things out of him. Now, there's going to be ups and downs, and there's going to be a, a stretch down the season where, you know, we won't be as high on the Jazz. I, I think we're realists when it comes to that. But let, let's just kind of wrap it here and we'll move sports. Agree with everything you said. If the Jazz can can take these assets that they've got, parlay them into maybe a better pick, add some talent, but really keep the culture, build the culture of, you know, a fighting, scrappy team mixed with pieces, uh, that would be an interesting way for them to, to build and to, to get back into the mix. And uh, I'd love to see what could come of it. So, Final word before we shift sports, Chris. No, other than to just uh, fully agree with what you're saying, and, and I'm, I'm glad you brought Will Hardy into it because I think he is a big part of the equation here. And you know, I I'll keep my comments to this limited, but I still I, I still find it so interesting that there's this effort out there in the media, especially among people who cover the Jazz, to really be defensive about Quinn Snyder, right? And I, I don't think any jazz fan dislikes him. I think we we all agreed when we you know learned that he was going to be moving on that um, that you know he would always be welcomed here. That we would think of him as as a great part of our organization and and all that. But I still I, I think that the more you look at it, to me, the more you you can't deny that he was part of the problem and not living up to the expectations they had. Right? I just I don't know how else you see it and how else you look at it given the talent that was on this roster. And, and now you see this kind of this fresh voice, this new infusion come in and obviously totally different roster. Now you can't it's it's apples and oranges. But I just I always got the sense that Quinn was totally inflexible in certain areas. Right. Like you just got the feeling like, you know, we, we get end up with Rudy Gay last year and, and he like barely sees the floor. And it, it's just this this idea that like somehow Quinn knows something beyond even testing it, like beyond even really getting into it and looking into it in actual game action. And I just, I still just look at that and, and wonder, why did we give him such a pass for that? Like, I, I don't really understand. But, you know, that era is over and we can move on from it. But I just felt like I needed to get that point in. Yeah, well, it'll be interesting to see where Will Hardy takes the team. And uh, we'll be riding along on the sidelines here watching him. So, all right, Chris, a few more minutes left of the pod. We need to get into football. I think we want to go college football next. Again, we I don't think we've really even talked Utes. I think we kind of had a preview. That was probably the last episode that we've that we've had. So, man, I, 
I mean, I kind of want to go back to that USC game a little bit. We can talk UCLA, you know, a tough one. But USC, wow, what a finish. What a gutsy play calling by Kyle to go for it on fourth and then go for two and Cam Rising stepping up big. And then obviously last night, a, a gutty performance by the team banding together with a backup quarterback to stay in the hunt for the Pac-12 championship. What are you seeing about the youth this year? Any surprises or is this kind of what you had anticipated for the season yeah. under Kyle Whitting? I, I, I think, you know, wow, it's a good question. Is it surprising? I think we're about where I thought. Like, I didn't think that this was rapid in a bow. It was our season, you know, and, and there would be no challengers. I knew that there would be other good teams and that we'd have our ups and downs. I will say, just going back to that SC game at home, I, I'm willing to call that the best home victory in the Pac-12 era. Like, I, I think that was the best simply because I think that's the best team we've beaten at home. Like, Caleb Williams is a legitimate Heisman caliber player. You, you go back, I rewatched that game a second time. You know, I only do that with the absolute best games. And so many times, you know, our, our defense really got a lot of flack after that one for how they played. But you go back and look at it, and so often it was just Caleb Williams making otherworldly plays. He he was threading the needle and putting the ball in places that, you know, he, he was able to get around really good defense in some cases, and there's not a lot you can do there. He was escaping situations where it looked like a surefire sack and then and then springing for a you know 30-yard gain. It's really hard to defend that. So to be able to overcome that kind of play and win was incredibly impressive. And it just I, it's hard to overstate how sweet it is that that's the last home USC game we'll have for who knows how long. I mean, it. it some people are saying maybe ever. And I always laugh when anyone in the college football world wants to say this will never be like this or that. Th th these people have no clue <laughs> like, what yeah. things are going to be. They have no idea. Things change, you know, and and in ways that we don't always expect. But but for the foreseeable future, given the, you know, the, the you know, for the next 15, 20 years, at least, that's the last time they'll be here. So to come away with a winning record at home against them through our tenure here is so sweet. And to end it the way we did is incredible. A good friend of mine was at the game and rushed the field for the first time as a, as a much too old 30 something year old grad, you know? Um, so it, it was just really exciting and awesome. I'll just say though, overall for the season, it's just been interesting. We're, we're as good as we've ever been on offense that I, you know, in the, in the time that I've been rooting for the Utes, I just, I don't know that I've ever seen an offense this consistent. You just don't worry about them when they've got the ball, you know, they can score. And I think last night was your best evidence that it's as much scheme as it is anything else. It's O line. They just know how to score. Right. And, and 21 points isn't an overwhelming amount, but it was just enough. Right. And you're doing it with a backup that's being inserted in a tough situation on the road against a good defense. So um, you know, we've got that. Our defense, I think, is is vastly improving. You know, they showed it last night. The defense really, in most respects, really won that game, I think you could argue. And so so they're coming around. Our special teams, though, are still such a liability that it's hard to really say I'm totally confident that we can get back to the conference championship game. And if we do, I, you know, I don't know if we'll win it. It's It's just a tough path for us. We've got to go to Oregon. We can't lose again this year. You've got, you know, teams like Stanford coming into our place. Anyone would love to come in and and knock us off. That's a big feather on in any team's cap if you can come in and beat a ranked opponent. So we're going to have a target on us. You know, you could have some funny things going on. So it's going to be a tough ride the rest of the way. But, uh, you know, it's just an awesome team. And I don't know, that SC victory, you, you hate to say it because, of course, you always want more in a season. But hard not to kind of be happy <laughs> with that one like it kind of made the season regardless of what comes next for me yeah i completely agree i mean it was just um just a fun game to watch and i i don't know we've talked about this a little bit chris sometimes it's hard to invest in you know a three four hour thing and it's back and forth and back and forth and intense and then they just they lose it in the end and it's just like oh right yeah. it's kind of pulling yeah. pull at your heartstrings kind of thing but that game I agree with you. It was as exciting of a win as I've seen in in Ute history that that I can remember. And there's there's been a handful, right? I mean, the Alabama Sugar Bowl was a good one. The two games against Oregon last year, they both were so good, but they both were such terrible games, right? So they, they yeah. were fun to be a piece of. Or or the Travis Wilson win against Oregon, oh, right? Yeah. It was. Classic. I mean, it was a it was a classic great game, but it wasn't. You know, it was it wasn't a very good game. You know what I mean? And so I agree, and I think. 
the the thing that I like about this team, and I, I agree with your comment about scheme, is Kyle Whittingham has had, you know, we don't have, well, I should say we don't have intel on this. Certainly his name has been rumored in years past of getting a big payday, going to, you know, the SEC. Certainly he could have had any job he wanted. And he chose to stick at Utah. He chose to stick at Utah when Urban Meyer came in, right? He had an opportunity to leave, right? Maybe he should have got the job after uh, Coach McBride. But he stays here, and he's got a stable hand year in and year out. He's got a Kyle Whittingham team, right? You just know what a team feels like, a solid defense. Um, You know, offense have been up and downs. You know, there's been some coordinators here and there, whatever. But he just is so steady and consistent, and you know – He's not going to win it every single year, but you just know going down the stretch that like Kyle Whittingham is the guy that you want as your coach, right? You could have Nick Saban, right? But outside of Nick Saban, in terms of just steady and, you know, putting on a solid, solid team, I think Kyle Whittingham would have to be in the top five throughout all of college football the last two decades, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And it, it, to, to borrow from our earlier segment talking about the Jazz, it, the winning culture he's created that he's established here, I think ultimately has probably netted him a lot more money than he would have gotten getting a maybe a bigger initial pay bump from one of those SEC schools. But then potentially, you know, if it didn't work out in the first couple of years getting thrown out, you know, it was a, a rocky ride to get to where we are in the Pac-12, right? We had to suffer through some losing seasons and, you know, some five and seven type campaigns and, and we had to hang in there with him. But now he's on what you might call the coldest seat in the Pac-12. I mean, it's it's just his yep. his gig, you know. I'm not saying it'd be the same if he had two really dismal seasons to follow this one and people might say, oh, okay, it's time for him to go. But, but you know, where things stand now and as long as he kind of stays committed, um, he's here to stay. And so I, I think it proves the value in taking that approach, right? Kind of staying where you're a known quantity, you know the market, you know all the levers, you know how to succeed in in, in that area. And he just saw that there was more room to grow, right? There was, there was yeah. further to go. And he's been able to negotiate bigger pay bumps. He's one of the best paid coaches in, in the Pac-12, as he should be. And so, that you know, they're doing the right things administratively to keep him around. And I, I just, I couldn't agree more. And and to take this back, you know, I, I think it's, it's, you know, kind of what, what we were talking about earlier a little bit, you know, in terms of the significance of that USC victory, right? The thing that you can look at with Whittingham that's remarkable to me is that there's such a like linear progression to what we've done. And as a fan over the past 15, 20 years, there's been such just logical steps. You take it all the way back to those struggling years where we're, we're going five and seven. And then there's the year that we beat Stanford when they were a top 10 team at home. And that felt like a flagship victory. It felt like a major breakthrough, right? It was a step. And then from there, we we get our first USC home victories, right? And we then we do we get that victory you referenced on the road at Oregon. So now you're starting to beat opponents on the road. Now, those opponents might be kind of down, but they're still talented rosters. And you're just showing that you're at least to the point where, you know, if they have any elements missing, you can knock them off. And that's a big step. All the way to now, even though we've won the conference and been to a Rose Bowl, I don't think many people would argue that last season was like the strongest year for the conference. It was a pretty down year. And we ended up beating several teams that were on backup quarterbacks last year. If you look at, at kind of how things broke down and Oregon, I think, was pretty hamstrung by their quarterback play as well. You know, Anthony Brown just wasn't wasn't as good, I, I, even as probably Bo Nix is going to be right this year. Yeah. So the reason that the USC victory is so important is that you had a, a team that was full strength. Essentially, you have Lincoln Riley just imported a playoff caliber roster from o- Oklahoma. That's essentially what he did. He just took his quarterback. He took a bunch of talent. Then he added the the uh, you know, best receiver in college football, at least in terms of the, the award that he won in Jordan Addison and brought him over. So, you know, also just adding talent that they didn't have before. Um, adding the running back from Oregon and and so forth. And so now he's built this like star-studded roster and that's the roster we beat, right? With with all this momentum behind them, with them, you know, ranked in the top 10. So to me, that ranks right up there with the Pac-12 victory last year. It's another step to say you can beat a team at their best, at full strength. Now, it wasn't easily, right? It was by one point, but both yeah. teams had breaks going either way. And even if SC had won it, plenty of Utah fans would have looked at it and said, well, if XYZ hadn't happened, we were right there. So to be that close and that competitive with them, I think is incredible. It's just a testament to Kyle. He somehow is able 
to just keep notching these victories and taking steps. Like there were years in the past where opening at Florida, I would have said, uh, we might get boat raced in this one, right? Like we're just not, not there. We, we didn't win, but we had every chance to, you know, if it wasn't for a bad decision by Cam late, we probably would have won that game on the road. First game of the season with a very unknown quantity. Everything you look at is just different about this team. They're just, they're just different now. You like, even I have to acknowledge it <laughs> like as a fan, yeah. as a pessimistic fan, you just, you go into these games now and I'm not like fearful anymore so much. I'm more like, no, I'm confident in our team and our, in our talent and, Testament to Kyle. He's taken us there, but it's been a long-term project. And I think programs that want to get to this point would be wise to take note. Like, stick with the good guy. Like, I, I would think it'd be a huge mistake if Stanford moved on from David Shaw. I think it'd be a huge mistake, right? Like, he's a good coach. Like, just hang in there with him. He, he just has got to get a couple seasons out of his system, and he'll get him back, right? He knows how to win. Absolutely. And and the alternative, and this is what drives me crazy, right, is like, what are what are they going to do? They're going to go get some young, you know, hot shot up and coming coach. Well, you're in the Pac-12. You know, you're, you're playing some pretty good, uh, you know, competition. And so the grass isn't always greener, um, so to speak. Now, Chris, you ready for this? I, I, I'm going to throw something out that's maybe my maybe my best hot take. This might be. Remember Ooh, when I was going off right. about my. My fit, my top JBs of all time, you know, Jeff Burton, <laughs> Joe Biden, Joe Burrow. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, I'm a proud graduate of Snow College in lovely Ephraim, Utah. All right. San Pete. Those are the real Represent. people. Okay. Yeah, the top three people to come out of Snow College. I, I got to be on the list. If not the top three, I got to be on the short list. Sure. So or at least got... the top three JBs, right? <laughs> yeah. Thank you. All right, so you got the, the governor of Utah, Spencer Cox, the Abbey, the first lady. They both are from Snow. Uh, you got Jeff Burton, as I mentioned, you know, a podcast extraordinaire. And the third one, who am I going to say? The current head coach of the University of Tennessee, the Volunteers, Josh Heupel. Spent I didn't time know that. At Snow that. College. He, he was a coordinator. Um, at, at Utah state, but he played, he, tra uh, this is a Wikipedia and I'm trying to remember, cause I would have been there at the same time. He might've been the year after I might've gone and knocked doors for two years, but he was there in 1998. He, he started at Weber as a quarterback and then he went and played at snow college. Um, he passed for 2,300 yards and 28 touchdowns, uh, despite sharing time. Uh, it was he and then another uh, quarterback. Uh, anyway, so I don't want to make this all about me, Chris. You know me. You know, got got to <laughs> got to get my accolades out there. No, Are but you? what do you think of what he's doing with Tennessee? A huge win against Amazing. Alabama. Um, you know, it makes me nervous because obviously sometimes you can peak early, and you know, but they've got a talented team there. And shout out to Josh Heupel, coach of Tennessee, former Snow College Badger, but. What a great game that was against Alabama. I don't know well, if you had a chance to watch absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really almost unfortunate. I it had it not been for that game, the Utah USC game would have been the clear cut game of the week, but it really was neck and neck, I think, with that Alabama Tennessee game because it was riveting. Absolutely incredible. You, you kind of expect one of those per year from the SEC. There's someone who's going to eke one out against Bama. It happens every year and they, it takes everything they've got. They've got to absolutely yeah. just unload. You just saw Georgia in the championship game. It really, ha it took everything. Like they, yeah. and that's yeah. what it takes against Bama. So those are always compelling. And you're talking about the absolute most elite college players in the country in those those settings. Um, so absolutely fantastic. Really fun to hear the Eiffel. That makes it even easier. I was already a Vols fan this season, of course, because you know you, you love the. You love, I don't know, the color, the stadium, the setting. It's all great. Peyton Manning, all of it. It's fun to have them back. You know, as far as your SEC mix, it's nice to kind of have them back in the mix. And I'm hoping that they, you know, keep that spot in the playoff. And, boy, wouldn't it be nice to have a playoff sans Alabama? Wouldn't that be nice just for one year? Do they need to be there every single year, Jeff, do they? No, they don't. And I agree with you. Like, college football is better when Tennessee's there. You know, I, I – I kind of harp on college football and I have a history of that. I prefer the NFL just because of, you know, the haves and have nots and some players, you know, some programs are quote unquote paying players and doing kind of fishy things where I feel like in the NFL, 
you know, really the only cheater there is Bill Belichick. Everybody else is playing by the real rules, but true, um, true. no, but like Tennessee, it's better when they're good and that stadium is there. Nebraska, and man, they've been awful for so long. Yeah, but yeah. Nebraska, Notre Dame is another one. They've, you know, they've been back historically. This year's an interesting season for them. They got the win against BYU, the local team uh, down in Vegas, which was, you know, a fun, uh, a fun game. But you, you know, you got these story programs that are just fun to see, uh, and that's, you know, really what college football is out of, is all about. Um, Couldn't agree more, and I think you throw Texas in that mix. You know, Texas, it's, I have yep. this weird rooting interest in Texas because they just the fan base is just bananas, right? And so when they're good, it's it's you know we've talked about this many times. It's like the Knicks in the NBA. You, you want the Knicks to be good. Playoff basketball in, the, in New York is like what basketball is meant for. Like it's that's perfect, right? Like it's a perfect setting. People go berserk. It's just great. Um, when when New York's good, when Boston's good, you know, I love my small small city teams. Of course, you know, fan fan of one as well. But yeah, you want to see those some of those kind of brands be good just just on the basis of their fan base and and how much passion they bring to the sport. Totally agree. All right, Chris, we're gonna wrap here. Uh, we got to go NFL real quickly. So uh, as we close down the episode, uh, we had some fun talking jazz, college football with the Utes. Uh, you know, Cardinals kind of interesting. Raiders, kind of interesting, had some tough losses early on. Uh, can we agree that Buffalo is the most exciting and, and the team that we're secretly yes. pulling for aside from our our Absolutely. Team? Absolutely. I, I, how, how could you not like Buffalo? They, I've said many times they're the Utah Jazz of the NFL. You know, multiple bridesmaid, you know, never the bride. Yep. Came yep. so close. The four falls of the Buffalo Bills. If you never watched that ESPN 30 for 30, it's one of the all-time best ones. And I hadn't realized till later in life they made to made it to four consecutive Super Bowls, right? And and couldn't get a ton. But that in and of itself is such an achievement. It's kind of for like sure. special in its own way, right? Um, kind of like the Jazz making it back to consecutive consecutive finals. Like that's yeah. not unheard of, but it's rare, and not many teams have done that, right? And so the fact that we've done it does cement us in this way, right? Uh, yeah. But it, yeah, it, to have them come across, I don't know if you've seen the renderings for the new Bills stadium. It looks awesome. Um, the Bills are just one of those just, you know, you kind of put them in that same range as like the Packers and others, just like that working class kind of background and team. And you just love it. Like they they just bring such an interesting angle. Um, have to admit that I'm I'm not at all sad to see the Bucks imploding. Of course, I don't. I never revel in people's personal travails. I'm not. I'm not rooting for Tom Brady to personally go through the things he is now. But you know, I, they've had their chance. They've they've played well. Um, it's it's kind of time for others to clear the way. I don't really know for sure who's going to come out of the NFC. That, that's kind of an interesting conference right now. Um, you know, and, and your cards could still kind of piece it together. I've, I've seen them a few times, including that infuriating game that the Raiders should have won like four different times and. Credit to Kyler, he made plays. Like he's just he's a dynamo, and he got it done. And I think as long as you've got him, you have chances to win. But um, anyway, I fun season. I think we could say for sure. And and I think there's still some plot twists in store, right? I think yeah. you know the Chiefs are playing well now, but they're vulnerable. It's another one that the Raiders really had a shot to win on the road. They've kind of had to 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 eke a couple out, and I they they looked vulnerable, right? And they obviously lost lost to Buffalo. Um, so it's going to be another fun, entertaining year at, at a minimum. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Real quick, um, does Tom Brady regret coming back? I mean, I know this season we still got a few games to go. Boy. He probably, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I, well, and geez, I mean, if 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 we're drawing inferences here, I mean, if it cost him his marriage, which it kind of sort of seems like it may have, that's pretty brutal, right? And now you're on a losing team that doesn't, you know, no offense to Todd Bowles, but I just don't know that he's the guy, you know, a coach. I don't know that he's had a lot of su success elsewhere. I think it's it, it just has a different feel without Bruce Arians there. And, yeah, this just may have been – he may have just signed himself up for, like, a season of just pain, and that might have to be how he goes out. But Which, that's what the all-time greats do. Unless, you know, I know you're an all-time soccer fan, Jeff, and you're, you're closely tracking Cristiano Ronaldo, but he's over there, you know – for Manchester United, like essentially being shopped around, he's like become toxic, even though he's historically one of the best players of all time. Some players, it's just like this is how they got to go out. Like they they won't just go out gracefully. <laughs> They'll yep, just I mean, 
Play him out. Him. It's how Jordan did it too. I don't know yeah. what it is. They just can't let go, and it's just got to go turn ugly. We just have to expect it with with the Alzheimer's. Yeah, but you look at like John Elway. He did it right. Um, yeah. Michael Jordan did it right too, and then he got the itch and said, "No, let's go. Let's, let's, play, let's, let's go play for the Wizards." Right? It was like it was Ooh. it was cool in Ooh. a lot of aspects, but man, he was not Michael Jordan. Um, you know, no. not saying that Russell Wilson had an opportunity to hang him up, but Russell Wilson. Man, those Seattle Seahawks look brilliant. You know, not only do they like load up on draft picks, but I'm not saying that Geno's better than Russell, but I'm saying like right now they, he is. They, right now they, he is. They I did, no denying it. They did okay in that trade, right? I mean, they are they're sitting pretty. Um, Chris, I don't know if you knew this. Um, I've been to two NFL games this season, so saw the Colts beat the Chiefs, stayed in the oh, yeah. same hotel as Patrick Mahomes. Uh, and the Chiefs, Andy Reid and Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, I, I never got to see any of them in the hotel. Mm. But there were rumors of Travis Kelsey just all over the bar, which sounds about right. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I kind of like to think of Tra- Travis Kelsey bar sightings as kind of like Bigfoot sightings for me. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, yeah. a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer. And then um, was actually in Chicago. Um, and I did not know this. I'm literally, we're walking up and down the street and this is, this is what you call a tease in the business, Chris. All right. Episode three of life in the carpool lane is going to be with one Lisa Martinez. And we're talking about our Uber ride in Chicago to get to soldier field. So happy to say we went and saw the commanders and the bears soldier field. Those bears fans are fun, fun, fun. We're going to tell a little story about the song that they play when they score a touchdown, which was super fun. But Chris, we we showed up, and sadly the Bears did not show up. That's a team that I want to root for, and you know they they did beat the they beat the Patriots the other night, right on Monday night. So yeah, they yeah. It, it's not like they're a terrible team, but man, that just that franchise has been tough. And you talk about plot twists and you know storylines down the uh, down the stretch. You know Aaron Rodgers and the Packers is an interesting one. There, they, right? Yeah. They. I don't know. There's there's just a lot of intrigue. That's the NFL. Uh, and then you mentioned, and I don't I don't want to like jinx them or put them call them out here, but Philadelphia has to be the surprise team and absolutely and, and make and, them out of the NFC. Um, but again, I I think all of America, I should say all of America, but all of America should be behind the Buffalo Bills. Dallas Cowboys, though, I mean they they kept it together in Dak's absence. But um, anyway, let me give you the final word, and then we got to shut it down. Yeah, I th- well, I think that you put a nice summary on it. I'm glad you brought up the Eagles. They've kind of been a fun story to follow. And I, it's funny to talk about someone like Jalen Hurts as an underdog, but he kind of has that vibe, doesn't he? I mean, he, 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 he celebrated as he was in college to be kind of spurned a little bit by Alabama and then to, to pick things back up at, at Oklahoma. And and now with the Eagles, I credit to them for just sticking with them. I just I think sometimes we just got done talking about this with, with Whittingham and, and so forth. But it's like, I, I just think there's just such pressure to win immediately that, that no one will will exercise any patience, right? And, and it kind of seems like the Eagles are getting rewarded for actually sticking with, with Jalen Hurts, for investing in him, for telling him he's the guy. Um, not, not to say that everybody's going to put it together and, and be successful like he has, but I, I, I think it's a cool story. I think it's really fun. And, and just look at the NFC East in general. Where they went from the NFC least last year, this total just dumpster fire of a division, to now – even the commanders are winning games here and there. They're not terrible. They're no worse than my Raiders at this point. They can win games. Suddenly they're this tough division. The Giants are good. Cowboys have been playing well. So yeah. you just never know. Meanwhile, the AFC West, you know, with my Raiders was anticipated to be this juggernaut division, but Chargers have looked wobbly. My Raiders have a bad record, although I think they're not as bad as they their record indicates. The the Broncos are just bad though, out and out. Just, you know, Russell Wilson hasn't been who he's been. So once again, to those who want to give you sports world certainties, never listen. Just never listen to them. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and to piggyback on what you're saying, I mean, last year the best, one of the best divisions you could say would have been the NFC West, my division, right? And, yeah. And this year, you know, I mean, it's not a terrible division, but the Rams have fallen quite a bit. Seahawks are probably doing okay, right? Maybe performing above expectations i'd say arizona's been somewhat of a disappointment they got deandre hopkins coming back so that'll be fun uh and then who's the oh the other team the 49ers shell out some draft picks to get christian mccaffrey which is you know the the knock he's a fantastic player the problem is he's had a hard time staying healthy so yeah that the the, what that move says to me is the 49ers which this is so crazy they're doing it with 
They just picked Trey Lance, who's not playing, right? They're kind of going with Jimmy G, who's kind of an afterthought, who's a decent quarterback, but probably not anything to write home about. And they go out and they they roll the dice and they give up some picks to get Christian McCaffrey. That, to me, shows that they believe down the stretch they've got a defense, they've got, you know, the the personnel to make a run, which, you know, the NFL, to me, is such a fascinating league. So... All right, when they Chris. call it game of inches, man. The NFL is the one is the place that proves it maybe more than any other. It's Absolutely. it really is razor's edge. And you know, when you really watch week in and week out, watch your college football games on a Saturday and then watch NFL on Sunday, they're very, very different, right? Like yeah. blowouts are really uncommon in the NFL. Like a big differential is a double digit differential in the NFL. If you lose by 10 points, something like that, that's a big deal. But you you do not see 45 to three, right? Like that it's exceptionally rare because they are balanced. And so much of the NFL is just one or two plays here and there. It's just, you you know, one player can do it. And maybe that's the thinking with Christian McCaffrey. They just need the, you know, looking at their analytics sheet, they're just saying, Hey, if we can inject three or four more explosive plays in a game into our offense, then look at what the numbers do. You know, it probably comes down to stuff like that for them. So it'll be really interesting to watch and see if, if he changes their fortunes at all. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, Chris, it's fun getting back in the booth. Sorry it's been a minute. Promise you we'll get back after it, especially down the stretch with football. Uh, you know, we'll have to talk baseball sometime uh, if we even care about the Strohs and the Phillies. <laughs> yeah. I was at a Phillies game earlier this season too, Chris, which is kind of wild to think that they, uh, you know, decent team, Bryce Harper, but they're, you know, in the in the World Series. Here they are. We got to get Corey Elliott. I'm sure you know Corey, right? Yeah. He's, a, he's a, a, an absolute Houston Astros maniac. I just saw him in Seattle a couple weeks ago and he was rocking his jersey the whole time and getting into funny little banter with all the Seattle residents because they were playing um, the Mariners at that time. And it it was hilarious. It was a good time. I got to remember, and we do need to have him on. He was telling me a story a year or two ago about, I want to say he was was in the Pacers locker room and I want to say he interviewed LeBron and he asked some question of LeBron and they kind of had a and if you know Corey, he's, he's a very confident individual, but they kind of went yes. back and forth. And that, so, yeah, let's get Corey on the podcast to share about his little interaction with LeBron James, which is I love it. a great time, great story. So, Chris, good chatting with you, good catching up, great episode, a uh, lot of fun. Um, good good chatting with you again. Likewise, Jeff. we we got to do it more. We'll, we'll make it a regular thing. <laughs> I don't know, maybe maybe, maybe, we <laughs> maybe even have maybe even give it a name, you know? Maybe and give do it, it a name. Do it on the regular. Yep. I love it. He's Chris. I'm Jeff. We're guys on the sidelines saying adios and bye bye.